You're listening to the Old Guys Talk Metal and Sometimes Punk Podcast. 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 Hey, hello. Hey, Ramon Ortiz. Hey, hey, hey. How's it going? Good, man. Founder guitarist of Puya, one of my Puya. favorite bands yeah. in all the world. I love you guys, man. I love you guys. Thank you for being on the Old Guys Talk Metal and Sometimes Punk Podcast. Awesome. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. Oh, thank you for coming on. I'm here with my co-host, Sean. Yes, Sean me, Bobby V. So, man, let's just get into it, man. Our our friend Ebo Rodriguez said, get a call this guy. Give him a a buzz. I said, okay. (laughs) (laughs) We've been talking about you guys. Yeah, you do? Yeah, talking metal, talking music, anything, man. I love oh, it. Oh, great. Well, then you're on the right podcast, man, because he's like, just call him up. And I'm like, because we talked about Puya for a while. I'm like, okay, okay. can we get Puya, Puya on? <laughs> so, now we got, <laughs> so now we got the founder and guitarist, so we did pretty good. Yeah, man. Awesome. Awesome. So, I mean, Puya, do you consider them to be, uh, your band to be a progressive metal band, progressive rock? And you get a lot of fusion in there. It's kind of hard to pigeonhole yeah. you guys. Yeah, yeah, that, that that has always been the band uh, thing to, to play like this eclectic mixture of different genres, you know. And, and you know, with the music business, you know, categories and labels for different types of music they come and go. You know, I don't know if we fit as of right now the progressive metal uh, label because pro- progressive metal in the last ten years has been uh, associated with bands like. Uh, Dream Theater and, and Symphony X and stuff like that, which I love. Yeah. Well, we're pretty far from that, you know. The 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 Puya band, you know, it definitely has a metal edge to it. It's very groove oriented, and uh, it's very eclectic in terms that we we incorporate a lot a lot of different stuff into the mixture, you know. And, and that's how the band built built its name, you know. And that's what the fans expect. So we intend to keep it like that, you know. Well, even though. Uh... Even though Dream Theater might be somewhat of a comparison, I, I think you guys have a much harder edge, a much more. To me, it sounds like that, more like yeah, real music. That too, you know, yeah, that too. The when we play heavy, it's probably heavier because when we play heavy, it comes more from the Pantera Metallica right. type of heavy. Thank you, you. Know? thank you. When we when we play heavy, it's heavy like that, like real heavy. You know, but then, but then we go into we have all these other influences, Latin jazz, and all these subgenres of Caribbean music, all these rhythms that we somehow fit and 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 incorporate into what we do. And we always there's a lot of territory still to be explored with that. You know, we're still evolving as a band and, and trying new things, new experiments. You know, that band started as a musical experiment, so that spirit of experimenting. Uh, like musical alchemy, alchemy almost, you know, it's still very strong within the band. Well, we're really glad to have you on the show because not only are you, not only are you a very gymnastic player, I mean, you're a shredder. Yeah. But, yeah, the, but you I, all, I but, love that stuff. I love that, all, all that, you know, I, I came from that, um, the Eddie Van Halen revolution in the eighties. That's when I started, you know? Right. And, um, and, and, and uh, you know, in the beginning, when I first started, uh, I just wanted to be Eddie, just like most of people of my generation, you know. Uh, and, and and then all the revolution that he started, all these players that came out that were amazing, you know. And, and uh, that's where I, that was my springboard. It wasn't until the when I, when I turned like 21, 22 that I realized, you know, if I want to leave a mark in the music business, I got to figure out something of my own to say, you know, because Eddie already said what he's going to say. And all the, the other guys are saying what they want to say. What am I going to say? 
So are you in Puerto Rico right now? Yeah, uh, I moved back to the island about eight years ago. Great. So Mm -hmm. sorry about the hurricane situation. Oh, yeah, thank you. That was terrible. Uh, Hopefully we don't get another one like that in a long time. That was too hard. 200 miles per hour winds, can you imagine? We generally don't talk politics on this show, but it's been a uh, national disgrace what happened there three years ago. Yeah, yeah, no, it was terrible. It was, you know, um, one of those situations that was a big tragedy because the island was already in rough shape economically, and then when that happened, you know, it put the island even more behind. But, uh, you know, out of all tragedies, good things come out, you know. There there was good stuff that happened, you know. when, When that things like that happen to our community communities get united you know like yeah. communities forget about all the difference and about all the the trouble for a second and get united to help each other you know and, and that that was strong here you know everybody started helping each other and all the neighbors started you know cooperating working as units in the neighborhoods to 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 help the situation so you know it was it was tough but uh, good things came out of it too you know so I'm betting that Puya isn't the only metal band in Puerto Rico. No, the Puya, uh, <laughs> there's a metal scene here. You know, um, Puya is still quite unique in, in within the metal scene because um, there's not many bands that are doing the fusion that we do. There's uh, the metal scene is more um, traditional, I would say. There's more bands uh, that are playing more traditional heavy metal styles, you know, and. Um, this was actually a really good band. There's a couple of really good bands uh, here, but there was one that was by far my favorite of all metal bands that ever came out of the island. They were called Cardinal Sim. And uh, they were a thrash metal band in the late 80s, late 90s. And they moved to Boston. And they were almost about to get signed to a label and release an album. They had bad luck. The label they signed to uh, went bankrupt before they could put out, out uh, their album. And they, they got frustrated. They broke up. But they were amazing. They were like, a, I think if they would have been able to come out with a, with a proper professional album, they would have given uh, a few of those big acts, thrash metal acts, a run for the money, you know? So maybe we can get together and do a show on uh, Puerto Rican metal bands, and you could uh, co-host it with us. Yeah, that that could be great. You know, there's a lot of interesting stuff that has happened. You know, here. I'll tell you what's cool about Puya, though they they put the heavy metal in, right, the metal aspect, but then they they mix it with their their like their native music, right, Caribbean music. Mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm. done in a very cool. It's not like you just throw a bunch of bunch of stuff in there you know like some bands just throw a bunch of different types of music in there and try to make something cool these these ones where they put the different types of fusion and everything like that whether it be jazz or whatever it makes perfect sense and it works perfectly which takes a lot of knowledge about composition to do that <laughs> yeah they, thank you i appreciate the compliment yeah, yeah and it's true you know they, they, the thing we think in terms of songs you know yeah so, um you have to be careful when you uh, write a song. If you have too many element, elements that you want to put into a song, uh, you risk the chance of it not being a cohesive uh, train of thought, you know? Uh, sure, sure. And, uh, you know, it's, it's tricky, you know, how you do that. You know, you've got to have a strong hook and uh, and go, come back to it quite often, you know, and, and work it as a unit, as a, as a whole song experience of the song. You know, we always treated it like that, you know, so I think that's why it flows good, you know, most of our songs, you know, it t- they yep. take you on a trip and and, uh, and at the end of the song, you're like, hey, that was pretty cool, you know. 
so I, I think uh, people like that about the band, and and the thing with the with the Latin aspect of our of our of our musical heritage that we incorporate into the mix, you know, Latin music. One of the reasons why Latin music and Puerto Rican music, Caribbean music, has been popular for so long is because it's very danceable. You know, people can dance to it, and uh, uh, the music that can be danced to, they're the biggest types of music. They're the most popular. You know, because people lo- lo- like that. People love to dance, and they they. Puya is very groove oriented, you know, and within, even with, with in the heavy, really heavy parts, um, it's very syncopated and groove oriented. So I think that was a big hook for the band. You so know, you're, say, you're saying you're a heavy hook. metal dance band? <laughs> I don't know if that's a cool label. <laughs> I mean, if nobody's, but, nobody's heard the fundamental album, the, the first album, Fundamental, right? What's that? The fundamental album you have, the first albums, and did your first album yeah, put out? Yeah, that was the first one we did with the major record label, the Universal. Okay. And um, and it was the breakthrough album for the band. You know, I think it, it's still the most popular one, and and the one that opened doors big time for the band. Yeah, and it's still, and, still uh, being played on the radio today. A lot of places still playing. And I, I listened to the whole album over again today, and it just blew me away again. And I, everybody asked me today who heard the album. They're like, "Who is that?" <laughs> yeah, no, I, I thank you. Yeah, it's really relevant. I think the the, the excitement that the album has, you know, that we that we um, projected when we recorded it was real. You know, the the band work work. Uh, we have been working hard for ten years before that album. You know, playing shows and playing everywhere we could we could, and, yeah. and getting the, the the acts really tight and, and happening. And by the time we recorded that album, we were pretty um, well seasoned, you know, on, on, on the road and, yeah. and playing out and, and playing to different crowds in different countries and that type of stuff. And and, and so that shows the record, you know. And it, it's tougher for the second one. Because, that, because the songs on that album, we have played on the road for a long time. And we knew those were songs that were proven on stage yeah. and worked with the people, you know. For the second album, it's tougher because you don't have time to try them out, the songs, you know. You have to write them, and if the record label likes them, you go into the studio and record them. And then, and then you try them out on stage, you know, which is usually why second albums are tougher to make, you know. But that first one, that fundamental one, has that on its favor that all those songs, we have been playing them out for a long time. That's a brilliant, stage, that's you know? actually a brilliant uh, observation, the sophomore effort. A lot of times mm-hmm, has the mm-hmm. label involved. And, exactly and- because because you the first the first batch of songs you know you've been playing them for a while that's what made you come up you know they have the people having fun at your shows with those songs you know you know which ones work better than which ones uh, and usually you pick the better ones that, that work better and that's those other ones that end up on the record you know but for the second one you don't have that chance you know the record label has a lot of say you know you know sometimes the record labels. They're not the ones going to the shows, you know. So it's weird. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're classically trained, right? Yeah, I went to the conservatory as a youngster. You know, yeah. uh, learn classical guitar. It's not something that I have pursued professionally over the years. I've, I've been more in the rock and roll side of things. You know. So are you saying so, you're uh, the? Are you, you know, are you saying that you're the Ingve of Puerto Rico? It could be the Ingve of Puerto Rico. <laughs> no, 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 by, no, by any means. I weren't. I weren't there myself. Ingve you know? is up there with the game changers of history. You know, guitar. However, you know, though, let uh, me. Let me read something to you from PV. <laughs> PV says, 
of Ramon here, Ortiz. He says, his music is an exercise in contrast and control, like a fist inside a velvet glove. Nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, I remember I remember that quote. That was when we were um, um, uh, promoting uh, an amplifier. That was, it was during my sponsorship years with TV, and uh, they were having me promote the 5150, right. the, the Eddie Van Halen 5150. Oh, uh, It was an amazing amp. I still love that amp. One well, of the great, we're going to uh, carry that one okay. further and say you're like a velvet glove cast in iron. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that was a good way to put it. You know, the, yeah. it, 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 it was. Uh, I remember when PV uh, shot that um, the 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 ad. You know, they they did their production for that ad. Uh, they sent uh, a great rock and roll photographer to my house to take some pictures of me with the guitar for the ad. Uh, his name was Neil Slusower. I don't know if you know him, but yeah. he's an amazing rock and roll photographer. He has a lot of great pictures of Van Halen in their prime and Led Zeppelin. He's like an iconic um, rock and roll photographer, you know, and uh, he came over to my house and he's a, he's a super cool dude, you know, and uh, I, I was living in California back then in Los Angeles and it was funny because he uh, when you want some water, I gave him some water and he was sitting in my, in my living room and we had a big window you could see to the front porch, you know, and uh, I had a lemon tree in my lawn back then and uh, he's like, hey, Ramon, there's a chick in your lemon tree. <laughs> and I'm like, what? A chick in my lemon tree? What are you talking about? And when I look at the, the, this girl from the daughter from the neighbor, she was open my lemon tree, stealing my lemons. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I guess it's sort of like a partridge that. in a pear tree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah, that's not a chick. That's a little girl. And that's the neighbor's daughter. I came out. Like, hey, I don't mind you taking lemons, but knock on my door, you know. <laughs> She's probably starting oh, a lemon you. stand, probably. So where were you living in L.A.? <laughs> I was living. I lived in Los Angeles, uh, in, in a section very close between Hollywood and and downtown. It's called Mid Wilshire. Oh yeah, Mid Wilshire. Olympic, yeah. Mid Wilshire yeah. Olympic Boulevard. You know, and close to Olympic Boulevard and Crenshaw. Uh, yeah, right. In the beginning of Korea. That's called. Uh, it's called Hancock Park. Koreatown. Hancock Park, uh, Koreatown. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I lived there thirteen years. Yeah, wow. I lived there myself. Mm -hmm. Hancock Park, right, right yeah, next to Koreatown. I, I, Exactly. I had good, good memories my years there. You know, the funny thing is that I the, the Puya ended up in 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 California. But we were we moved out of Puerto Rico and we went to Florida. And we were living in Fort Lauderdale and we were paying our dues there. We were paying clubs and it was a pretty cool scene in the late 90s. There was a lot of metal, you know. And, well, and, uh, yeah, the it's the death metal and, scene down there in, in Florida. Exactly. Yeah, death. Exactly. And... That's why we, we, turned, we turned so heavy because we were trying to get gigs there and the bands were so heavy you know we're like we gotta step it up in the heavens you know and uh, we did and um and, and you know it was funny is like we thought we were gonna get signed there because we were already attracting attention of labels and stuff back then but i don't know if you know bob esrin yeah the producer from floyd and and, and destroyer kiss he he had heard about the band and he said he sent a scout to florida to one of our shows and the guy saw us, and we were doing pretty good. We were packing clubs back then at that point, and uh, and uh, he loved the band, and he reported back to Bob, hey, those guys are amazing. You know, they, they're they really exciting live band. And Bob was the first invest investor on the band. He made us a production deal, and uh, he he flew us. He, he moved the band from Florida to California, to L.A., 
to work on a start working on the album. So he was a big stepping stone for the band, you know. What an awesome was, story. That is great. Yeah. He was great, you know. We were, you know, very, very um, excited, you know, to work with him because we knew who he was, you know, and uh, uh, he was a great guy, you know. We did uh, a really good sounding demo. The idea was to get the band signed. And, uh, you know, the music business is weird. He shot the band with the demo and, and he didn't get the band signed. Actually, it was a different person who got the band signed. So that meant that he didn't produce the album. He, he, he could have, he would have, it was a possibility that he would have been the producer for Fundamental, but since uh, Universal, MCA, uh, were the ones who signed us, and they, 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 it was a manager that we had that got us signed, they actually wanted Gustavo Santaolalla to produce the album, who was an Argentinian producer that was having a lot of success back then, and, and that was the story. you know. But, but the demo that we did with Bob was amazing. I loved it. Bob Ezrin, wow. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. That he got involved in it, and so you guys. When did you first? When did you finally get signed? What year was that? What year was that? When we were working with, with Bob, with Bob Ezrin? Yeah, when you guys got signed. Um, you, that was probably like nineteen ninety seven, nineteen ninety eight. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you ever play any and shows around be- town with the like, death metal bands around there, like a death or obituary? Yeah. Yeah, they, they, we played a bunch of shows down there. We the Malevolent Creation guys invited us a couple of times to play with them. Oh yeah, um, Cannibal Corpse, uh, D Side, as well as uh, smaller uh, bands that were they were doing. Uh, the the thing back then out there was to do the the big keg parties, beer keg parties. They would get all these kegs of beer and they would get a, a, a um, you know how they have these parks and they have these these uh, picnic areas in the parks. They would mm-hmm. grab a, a, a picnic area, get a PA system, and have these whole festivals of all locals, by all local metal bands. And they would invite us to those sh- uh, shows to play all the time. We played a bunch of those, you know, and it, it worked to create a buzz about the band, you know, because it, we were so different, you know. Uh, it was shocking, you know, for the people there to have a band like us start playing real heavy and this going to all these parks and incorporating all these rhythms. But they liked it, you know, so it was a positive experience, you know, and helped us uh, push the band up, you know, the ladder. Hey, it seems like you, as we go along, you seem entwined, kind of entwined with Eddie Van Halen, the the amplifier, and what made you inspired to play guitar. So how did you feel the moment you heard Eddie Van Halen passed? Oh, my God. You know, the, the it's been huge. You know, to my generation, I think Eddie Van Halen is the most important rock and roll musician you know, to my generation. Yes. Uh, of, of any drummer, bass player, singer, you name it. I think he's the most important. You mean he's better than he's better than Ted Nugent? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> of course he is. So, <laughs> so um, they when when you know, I knew he was in rough shape because I've been following you know what was going on with him. Yeah, and I was actually in the studio uh, with a friend of mine who's. Very, very, very devoted Van Halen fan also. And we were talking about it. it was, well, I had seen a picture of Eddie not looking good a, a few weeks before that. Yeah. And I told him, dude, have you seen the pictures of Eddie? He doesn't look good at all. I think any of these days we're going to get the news, you know? Yeah. And the next day, and the next day, people start calling me, dude, Eddie passed away. And, and, and he called me, dude, we were talking about this yesterday. That's crazy. You know, it's been, it's big, you know, because it's like, um, 
we still have his legacy, we still have his music. We've been fortunate to to witness the phenomenon that he created, but it's still sad because it's it's the closing of an era. You know, it the is. Whole era. It is a big time. You know? I mean, to lose the Eddie, of a chapter. Yeah, to lose Eddie Van Halen like Neil Peart in the same year is pretty bad for music. I mean, exactly. did you did you did, did you hear that they're back up number one in the charts again? They've sold six hundred percent increase in their sales. Wow, that's amazing. I'm I'm glad, you know, because when things like this happen, uh, it's a, it's a chance that the newer generations have to to experience true rock and roll. You know. So the, I'm gonna I'm gonna foundation. throw I'm gonna throw a quick uh, zinger question at you. Uh, Van Halen or Van Hagar? I'm Van Halen team. <laughs> On the, yeah, and that's a that's a very um uh, a debate that never ends with rock and roll people and metal people. <laughs> it's almost like Megadeth or Metallica. You know, it's like the right. never ending debates. You know, yeah. And uh, it's you know, it's art. In the end, it's art. Music is art. It's all about perception and opinions. You know, uh, but. To, to me, you know, and, uh, and to a lot of my colleagues, you know, like the the Van Halen, David Roth era has a magic, you know. It, it is the magic. It something so big when it happened, you know, and the moment that it happened, uh, how it happened, you know, it, it's a mark that changed music. Forever, I mean, the moment you when know? you heard Running With The Devil, then into Eruption and Jamie's Crying and Ice Cream Man yeah. and all the stuff, you're like, wait a you know? It, it pretty the much songs. changed. I mean, they, they, had the whole, they had the whole package, you know? They had amazing songs. They had a different new sound that nobody heard before. They had a larger-than-life presence on stage. You know, they had it all. You know, and, and Eddie, Eddie was an, um, an inventor. He invented stuff from out of nothing. You know, he invented a new style. He invented a new sound. He invented a new way of playing guitar. And he also you know, he, he, made his own guitars, too. <laughs> exactly. So, so it, it, you know, the, the impact of those five records with, uh, with David, uh, to me, are, are, are too big, you know. The transition in, uh, with Sammy Hager, I think it was almost logical that they would do that, you know, because they were they were not kids anymore at the point that Sammy entered the band, you know, yeah. they were grown men, you know, and you can see that they were maturing as, a, as adults, you know, it's a more serious sound. You well, know, they, they, not, they, not they so. and the remarkable thing is that they did actually end up selling more records with Hagar. Exactly. The thing is that it worked because it a lot work. of bands try that, a lot of bands try that stuff, changing styles like that and it doesn't work. And you, you know, Sammy Hagar is no joke on the guitar himself. Yeah, he he did. Great. I think he did great. You know, the he did a great job. And you know, and I uh, in the beginning I didn't accept him. You know, uh, I got pissed. I got upset when he joined the band because his yeah. energy was so different than David's. But you know, when, you know when I accepted him when I heard uh, the second album with him, OU812. That's the, my favorite album of theirs. Yeah, the Van Hager years. Exactly. That's Cabo, Cabo uh, Wabo. <laughs> Wabo, exactly. And he has a song. It was one of their singles. I was at this local bar, this local rock and roll bar here that was very happening back then. It was called Shannon's Irish Pub. And uh, they had um, a big screen. They projected videos. There. I was there one night with my friends having some beers, and they put on the new Van Halen single, the When It's Love. And... Um, and I hear and I heard it and I and I and I I was like, you know what? They're still cool. You know, they're still cool. 
and that's when I accept, start accepting the, the new the new direction with Sony. The know? only guy you feel real sorry for is Gary Sharon from Extreme when he took over after after Hagar left. Yeah, that's the only record that I still don't get. You know, the, that record is very. <laughs> that's the record is very strange. It's like I don't know what what was Eddie doing. All right, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know? throw I'm gonna throw another one at you, uh, Ramon. How about um, how about uh, Ozzy versus Dio? Uh, that's uh, that's probably even tougher. Um, the you know I would say, for me I would say it's a draw. You know, between both, it's a draw. See that, Bobby? Do with me, with with me. You know, I love them equally, uh, both their music and their and their thing, but for different reasons. You know, yeah. the Dio is a real singer. You know, uh, he's probably one, probably one of the best, if not the best, heavy metal singer of all time. Oh, and and okay. is not a, that great of a singer. We all know that. You know, the yeah. But it, it's it, it, but he was he has this persona, this mystery. He had a very clear direction of what his music needed to be, you know, and uh, and his career has been incredible. You know, he's made some amazing albums. You know, those first, um, I would say the the first one, Blizzard Boss, the Better for Madman, Bark at the Moon, the the Ultimate Sin, and the and the first ones with Zach. Those albums are masterpieces. You know, so I uh, mean, I'm, yeah. I'm probably I'm probably closer to Aussie's music. Yeah. A bit closer to Aussie's music than to Dio's, but I I love them both. You know, the, with Dio, with Dio, I kind of lost track of him after after the third album. You know, the, the he released a bunch of albums after being, Sacred uh, Heart. After, you mean Sacred Heart? After the Sacred after Sacred Heart, I kind of lost a track of what he was doing. Yeah, uh, I I think I heard um, one with the. Um, with a guitar player called Rowan Robertson. Yep. I uh, thought so that one was pretty good. Uh, but then after that, I knew what he was doing until he released Killing the Dragon, which I think was 2004. Yep. I loved that one. That was that one was great. Yep. And especially because he got together with a guitar player that I like a lot, which his name is Doug Aldrich. Yeah. And uh, I think Doug, when Doug Aldrich got together with Dio, it helped Dio create Killing the Dragon, which was another album that I loved from him, you know. Yeah. Imagine those shoes to fill, though. When you have the poor with Jakey e. Lee coming in to take over for Randy Rhodes. I mean, that's a that's a tough one, you know. Randy, uh, he created two masterpieces with uh, with Aussie, you know, and uh, and then he left suddenly. Yep. And uh, you know, I always thought that uh, that uh, the first person they called was Brad Gillis. Yeah, he was, he was he was on Speak of the Devil, right? Right, yeah, he's on exactly. Speak of the Devil. He was from Night Ranger, temporary. Dude, that guy shredded. And Have you ever seen also, the video? No, he did, he did great. He did, he did an amazing job covering for Randy. But what I didn't know, what I learned recently, <laughs> pardon me, is that he wasn't the first person they called. They called this guy called Bernie Thorne. Yeah. I think this guy from England, I think. And yeah. uh, he was more of a blues blues player, yeah. bluesy uh, 70s type player. And, and the crowd wasn't happening. Can you imagine? Yeah, they tried to... I think George Lynch was up for the job too. George Lynch from Dokken. That never I, I heard about. I heard about that. I love George Lynch. He's one yeah. of my favorite too. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it was exciting back then. You know, there was all this guitar revolution going on, and all this uh, passion for playing electric guitar. You know, that yeah. it was such an exciting time to to be around it all. You know, and, and learning, and, and you know, being wanting to be a musician. 
you know, inspired musician at that point. It was so inspiring, you know. I mean, there was a time the metal really ruled the world. I mean, on the radio, everywhere you go, metal on TV, videos, everybody's, you know. <laughs> exactly. You know, it was it was the music of the youth. So, you know? so I want to take I want to take a moment for uh, shameless self promotion. How do how do people hear about what you're doing now on on uh, social media? Oh, social media. Well, basically, I run the base. I, I'm not that huge on social media. I have the basic stuff, you know the the Facebook Ramonities on Facebook, and uh, I have a website, and I also do uh, the Instagram and YouTube. You know, they have uh, Ramonotis guitar music uh, on on YouTube. Nice. You know, that's basically what I use. You know, to 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 showcase the stuff that I'm doing. You know, the I'm actually gonna release uh, two two songs very soon. Probably, I was planning to 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 release them next week, but I just realized it's elections, so I'm gonna hold it for the yeah. week after. That. Good idea. <laughs> yeah, you never know what's gonna happen yeah. with that. You might so, want to exactly. wait six weeks. <laughs> so but actually, actually. It's, <laughs> six weeks, right? <laughs> Till next year. No, the, the, it's gonna be it's gonna be really cool. Actually, I haven't. You, you're the first p- person. I'm gonna tell what I'm gonna release. I thought uh, I have announced already. I'm releasing something very soon, but I still haven't said what it what it is. So I'm gonna tell you guys. You're gonna be the first ones to know what it is that I'm gonna release. Actually, two cover, two cover songs. Okay? Awesome. And it, it's gonna be. Um, it's not a Sam Hagar. Co- it's not a Sam Hagar cover. No, no, it's, it's oh, okay. these are songs that are very, very, um, uh, very uh, important to me. You know, songs that really made uh, uh, a way into my heart long time ago when I was first starting. And it's an Inveil Mountain cover. Oh, interpretation uh, of an Inveil Mountain song uh, from his first album. It's called Lil Savage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Rising Force album. That yeah, yeah exactly. that's that's a pretty it's tall. A, that's a, wait a minute. That's a pretty tall order to be covering an Ingve song, dude. That's like, that's like, yeah, that's, you don't see, come on. You don't see that many done out there. And it's going to be cool because I'm playing it on an eight string guitar, so it's super heavy. Wow. You know, so it's going to be nice. And the other one is on a reinterpretation of, um, of a song from a soundtrack, which I really love. It's probably my favorite movie of all time. It's the first Conan the Barbarian. Arnold oh, yeah. 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 It's one of the songs from that soundtrack. It's really beautiful melody. I created an arrangement for it. Uh, uh, made it a, more of a classic, you know, classic metal type of thing with the song. You know, Very really cool. epic. Who doesn't love Conan yeah. the Barbarian? Who doesn't love Arnold? Right? <laughs> <laughs> I love that song and the soundtrack, especially the soundtrack. So beautiful. It know? is. So let's talk mm-hmm. about Fernandez guitars. You get a like signature guitar from them. They made one guitar for just for you, right? A seven string? Is that what they made? Yeah, for you? yeah. They made they made a really nice guitar for me a while back. They, I was with Ibanez for for ten years when I was real active touring and that type of stuff. When my contract, Ibanez gave me great guitars. They're a great company. Um, all the guitars they made for me were great. They at some point uh, during my sponsorship they started sending me the seven string guitars, which the first time I started uh using uh lower register instruments is that with a low b or is it a what is it the the, the, the thing is that in the beginning when, when we started with the puya thing i had i had i didn't have a sponsorship although my first nice guitar that i was able to buy was a paul Reed smith okay? okay and that's what i recorded what i used to record the the fundamental album but the problem is that i was tra- i wanted to tune 
so low already. I was going lo- below uh, drop D. I was going to drop C. And when you start tuning that low with a regular uh, six-string guitar, gets a little flappy. For that, yeah, yeah, this, the, you lose the the, the optimum uh, tension of the strings for the for the wrist to sound tight and clear. You know, so people start suggesting me, why don't you start using a seven-string if you want to go so low? You know, uh, and then that's when I got the sponsor. I, I want a sponsorship because I was on Ozfest in 1999 with Puya and, and since I was on that tour it was easy to get a sponsorship and, uh, and uh, we landed that Ibanez sponsorship and I was with them for 10 years they gave me lots of nice guitars and um, by, by 10 years after when, I, when Puya kind of uh, took a long break and I started this other band called Ankla which I formed in Los Angeles it was more of a, a death, death core type of thing yeah yeah uh, my my contract with Ibanez was ending, and the people from Fernandez uh, approached me, and they told me, "If you come with us, we'll build you anything you want." Nice. And uh, you know, Ibanez never uh, really uh, offered me that. You know, uh, they would give me custom stuff, but the custom stuff was in terms of what wood you want to make it, make it. You know, and but not really, really detailed stuff. If I got too detailed, they, they were like, ah, you know, that's gonna be difficult. But the Fernandez <laughs> people told me anything you want, you. You, you imagine it, you draw it, we'll build it. You know, and I was like, are you sure? And they were, yeah. You know, so I sat down one night and I, I made a, bl- a blueprint for the guitar, you know, very detailed about the woods, about all the components, the shape and some designs that I wanted on it. And uh, I gave it to them and they, they approved it. They said, yeah, we're going to build it for you. you know? Dude, you're a freaking and, uh, heavy, you're a freaking heavy metal god. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, um, so, yeah, those are by far the best guitars that I've had. You know, I still have them. They're my main, main guitars. There's three of them. The idea was to have them uh, commercially available, but that's when um, 2007, 2008 hit oh, really hard. Remember? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. How can I forget? The recession, you know, the recession hit, the yeah. The recession, and unfortunately, they were not able to, to keep going as the company that they once were. Tell me about it, dude. I do monitor mix for a living. I know all about how the economy crashed. Mm-hmm. Sorry. So, so the, you know, <laughs> they, they, they were not able to keep going as the Fernandez we all knew, uh, but I, I have the guitars with me, you know, and, and I haven't, haven't wanted to pursue another sponsorship bec- uh, as of right now, because it would mean that I won't be able to play those guitars, <laughs> you know? So I'm like, you know, those are the guitars I want to still keep playing because they were built uh, exactly the way I wanted them. And, maybe you know, you'll have to go uh, back to Paul Reed Smith. Well, that would be a shame, wouldn't <laughs> maybe, it? Maybe, maybe. That would be a shame. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. You know, the, the, I, don't know, I don't think so because the, the thing with the Paul Reed Smith, they're great guitars, but with the evolution that I have done, you know, as a musician, you know, they, they're not really what, what I want to be playing now. You know, the, these guitars that, that, that were made for me, you know, the thing is that after experimenting for so many years with different guitars, different types of woods, pickups, all these variables, I know exactly what works best for me Right. for each project that I have, you know? So it's tough when you get to that point that you, that you already know what's going to work best. Something else that's not that, you know, it's like, oh, no. So, really. <laughs> so do you have any do you have any suggestions for uh the younger people that might be listening the the dreamers of the dream the musicians that want to get there tell tell us what drove you forward throughout your life you know the the you, you first of all you have to be in love with this you know because if you think about fame and money there's easier ways you know music is not the the easier route 
Right. You could that. become like a music you know? lawyer or something instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something else, you know. But music, you have to love it, you know, because in the, the, the investment that you have to put on, you know, for years and years, it has to be uh, out of love, you know, not looking for, for um, compensation. You so know. I imagine you're going to be uh, you're going to be writing songs and making music whether or not anybody puts it out. You know, and the thing is that and the thing is that you have to. This is the way I've seen it. You know, music is a big big universe. You know, and uh, everybody has their own path. You know, I have colleagues that have chosen very different paths than mine. You know, they're happy playing call. They, at least they and not right now. Nobody's playing out now, but they have been been happy playing covers in cover bands in the weekends at the bar. Sure, you know, sure. They, make, they make a living and they're happy like that. And that's fine. You know, but that has never been the path for me. You know, uh, that, that's not what I wanted. You know, I, I wanted to create something different that would fulfill me, you know, and, uh, and that's my, my, my compass. If, if it makes me excited, if, I'm, if the music that I make, make, gives me the goosebumps, you know, and makes me excited, it's probably going to make other people excited. Right. You know? Right. So, so, so we're not gonna we're not gonna catch you in the Ingve Malstream cover band at the casino. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good. Who knows? I never say never. I actually did a, a <laughs> metal guitar tribute type of thing a, a couple of years back. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. But I didn't I didn't do it I didn't do it thinking that I was gonna make a business out of it or become a touring <laughs> musician with it. I did it a couple of times here to have fun with my friends, you know. Sure. The, and we played a bunch of my favorite tunes from the 80s. Rat, Darkin, Van Halen, Metallica. Wasp. All the good stuff, you know. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's something that I've done, but I don't see it as uh, seriously, you know, like a, something serious, a business. What's serious funny, though, tour. some of these cover bands that tour all these casinos across the United States, they make more money than the real band. Yeah, Led Zepp again. Yeah, I know. The, 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 tribute, thing, the tribute thing got out of hand here, Didn't too, it? you know, because... <laughs> Because it's like it got to the point where it's ridiculous. Because it's like there's there's I think there's a Puya tribute band here in Puerto Rico. Is it really? <laughs> you go see him. Check him out. The ultimate check, ego. Stroke. Go walk in there and check him out. <laughs> Free drinks all you night. Know, for it's you. like, hey, wait a second. Why don't you get Why don't you get the real thing? You know, oh, right. the guys are charging me half the money. You You're know? telling me there's a Puya <laughs> tribute band in Puerto Rico. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, and they, they, you know, there's a huge salsa band here. That's one of the most iconic salsa bands in history in Puerto Rico, and they're still active. They're still here. They're called El Gran Combo, you know, and they're super famous. They've been yeah. famous since the 60s here. And there's a, 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 a tribute to that orchestra here. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow, man. So it gets, starts getting shady, you know. It's like, wait a minute. Those <laughs> right. guys are, are stealing, they're stealing the gigs from, from the real people. You yeah, know? right. Yeah. It's happening all across yeah. the United States. It's so, crazy. So you're saying when we turn 80, there's going to be like uh, old folks' homes with a bunch of Puya tribute bands traveling around Puerto Rico? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's, it's with that, that tribute thing got a little bit out of hand, you know, I think. Right. Because it's, it's like... Um, uh, They're weekend warriors. It's, it's, let's face it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, the, the, it, it came a handy for promoters that wanted to have the act, but didn't have the money to pay for the act. Then they get the tribute. You know, yeah. cheaper. You know, so it's almost like a human jukebox type of thing. So, yeah. it, so I'll throw another zinger at you, um, Brian Johnson or Bon Scott. Hmm. Brian Johnson for me. Nice. Really? Yeah. <laughs> See, yeah, I've been Brian waiting Johnson for somebody. For 
Dude, let me yeah, just let me tell you something. You, you just became my best friend. I've been we've been asking this question of every heavy metal god we've met, yeah. and they all okay. say Bon Scott. They all say Bon Scott, and bon I keep Scott, saying, "Well, okay. what about for those about to rock?" Yeah. What about Highway? What about to, Back in Black? What about Highway to Hell? Yeah, but Brian exactly. and Brian and I always say Brian Johnson. If you're in a fist fight, I think Brian Johnson's going to kick your freaking ass. No, oh, Bonds wire. What about Hold Out of Rosie, man? Let there be rock. I'm not saying it sucks. I'm just saying Brian Johnson, dude. He's a yeah, rocker. Yeah, the man is a <laughs> the man is a rock and roll yeah. legend. I don't know, man. Yeah, yeah. I don't. They, 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 I think I'm closer to the repertoire with Brian Johnson. Yeah, yeah. you know the. Yeah, but it, you know, it's. Uh, I think they're both amazing. You know, they they all they both have their yeah. thing. They they have their legacy. You think it's a matter of what what records and what songs are you tired yeah. with? I thought you're, the, you're you know? the only one that just, we have nicked in that column, and I'm really fine. proud for just it. Don't, <laughs> just, just don't bring Axl Rose back. It's fine. No, don't don't don't. Ah. <laughs> so let's talk about this this other band you got. This heavier band called Ankle. Let's talk about that, man. I mean. Is it, did you make yeah, this band because you want to go heavier, or what? What was the inspiration? Exactly, because Puya was playing with the, uh, a couple of really, really heavy bands. We we start touring with Sepultura oh, and yeah. Slipknot and, and 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 Fear Factory and Hatebreed and all those really heavy bands, you know. And uh, I was craving making like a heavier band, you know. Like uh, more like a almost uh, going into like the whole death metal type of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started toying with the idea, you know, writing riffs and songs, you know, and uh, and, and finally I got to do it, you know. I stayed in, in when Bob Estrin moved Puya to L.A., you know, I, I stayed there. I never came back to Puerto Rico. Uh, the other guys from Puya came back. I stayed out there, you know, and uh, out, it, it was out, well, I was out there that I uh, started um, doing auditions for the, for the Ankla thing and giving it form. And finally, I, I got, had a, a couple of different lineups, so finally I had a, a lineup that I, I thought it'd be cool to start playing out, you know. And sometimes you think, you know, because I was the Puya guy, that it'd be easy, you know, starting to get another, a different band with a different name, get it up and running, but it wasn't that easy, you know. The, if, if, if you have a different band name, it doesn't matter who you are, you know, it's, it's almost like starting over again. And, uh, right. well, you know, I, I, ha- I had fun doing it, you know, because I really wanted to play that style at that point, that really extreme thing. And, uh, and you know, we, we put the time, we put the energy into rehearsing and, and getting it tight. And, uh, and play, we start playing shows out in uh, there in LA, you know, and, uh, in the Hollywood circuit. And there was still a, a, a cool little scene out there uh, at that point. You know, there were a couple of other bands. I remember one of the bands that was out there at that point, kind of on the same level with us. You know, like getting the gigs at the Whiskey, at the Roxy, at the Viper Room, and those places was uh, the Five Finger Death Punch. There were oh, yes. also one, yeah. Ivan and uh, and we played a few shows with them and uh, finally we got signed by a record label from Florida and they were called Biller Brother Records. They were there some of the guys from Saigon Kick. Uh, Saigon Kick, yeah, they, right. Yeah, the Biller Brothers, yeah, and uh, they signed us and and we released our album. It was called Steep Trails and we released it in 2006. And uh, it, it's funny because. Uh, uh, I finger Death Punch. They 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 were playing shows uh, in, in Los Angeles, and they invited us uh, into th- when we released the Steep Trails album to open a show for them at a place that was called the Knitting Factory. Yeah, you know? and, uh, the Knitting Factory. It was yeah. actually, the Knitting Factory. Yeah. yeah, and it was actually early early 2007. 
I remember. And uh, and I think Five Finger Death Punch, they knew somebody at the Sharon Osborne office. Uh-huh. And uh, they actually they were actually able to have Sharon send someone to check out, check them out at the show because they were looking they were putting together uh, the roster for Ostfest 2007 the summer festival mm-hmm. and uh, they they sent uh, Sharon Osborne sent a scout I remember, I forgot his name uh, the thing is that he got there early and he saw us and guess who got the invitation to play on Ostfest 2007 nice yeah. So that was the story. That. Now, wait a minute. Was This isn't the one that Oz headlined, though. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the lineup, the, fi- yeah, the, the final lineup, lineup of, the, fi- the final lineup of that tour, <clears throat> it was uh, the second stage, the headliners were Behemoth yep. and Haybreed. And then on the main stage, they had Static X, I think it, it was while uh, Wayne Static was still with us. Uh, they have this weird band that dressed like kind of like War. They were called Lordy. Yeah, uh-huh, right. And uh, yeah, and then they had Lamb of God, and then Ozzy with Zach. It was when Ozzy released uh, the album Black Rain. Oh, that's right, Black Rain. Yeah, and we had a great time. That was an amazing tour. Did you get a chance to meet Ozzy himself? You know, Ozzy's pretty well guarded. You know, it's hard to get to him. You know, yeah. I, I we we met Zach. You know, the Zach was really cool, and we hung out a whole bunch with the guys from Lamb of God. But Ozzy, we saw him. You know, a couple of times passing by, but he always had this entourage of people. You know, sure, him. It's like sure. We well, didn't want to, you know, be be uh, you know imprudent. You know, hey, you know. <laughs> what was the year that System of a Down did Ozfest? I think we did a, a bunch of years, but, uh, but, uh, but we played that tour in 99 with Puya, and they were on it also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and they were super cool guys. We played a whole bunch with that band uh, back in the day, and they were always very nice to us. Yeah, Armenian guys. Yeah, yeah. And they, they uh, back in the day, they put a hell of a show. I don't know what they're up to now. I kind of lost track of what, they're, what they've been doing. But back in the day, I remember seeing them. I was like, holy shit, this is so different. But cool at the same time. I think there's more Armenians in Los Angeles than there are in Armenia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a big community. It is. That's true. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about your solo album, Ortiz. Well, uh, when I was in Los Angeles, um, um, I started uh, getting back in touch with my instrument heavily, you know, because during the years of Puya and Ancla, I was uh, more concentrated into songwriting and riffs, really heavy riffs, you know. Uh, I, I haven't paid much attention to to the shredding aspect of playing guitar, the guitar solos and that stuff, which is something that I actually started with. Um, and then in about around 2005, 2006, I started getting back into it, you know, storing the instrument again, <clears throat> remembering all those classical guitar pieces that I knew from my from my um, teenage years when I was at the conservatory. And I started getting this desire of creating different type of music, not so extreme all the time, you know, and more melodic and, and, and different, and different than Puya, and different than Ankla, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's when I um, I realized that I needed to start a solo project, you know, do my own thing, <clears throat> because I had all these songs that I have been writing that didn't fit into any of the formats of those bands. And, uh, and I uh, I had this bunch of songs that I started working on, and they ended up being my first solo album that got released in 2000, 
um, two of, I think it was. <clears throat> and it, it, that album, in retrospective, you know, it's a collection of songs, but it was never conceived as an album. It was songs that I had been writing without any purpose. You know, it's songs that just came out of me, and I finished them and had them sitting there. I never knew what I was going to do with them. But when I realized that I needed to do a solo play, when I was like, fine, I'm going to take all these songs and release a solo album. <clears throat> but uh, listening to the album now, I think that it has some really cool songs, but stylistically speaking, it's all over the place. There's, you know, the, there's so, so much stuff in there, different, very different. You know, the songs are very different from one to the other. You know, up from that point on, I've released two more uh, solo releases. <clears throat> I think with each one that passes, I start becoming more focused on the style yeah. that I think I should be doing <clears throat> as a solo instrumentalist, you know. Uh, but, it, it, I, you know, I love the freedom that the, the solo stuff gives me, you know, because yeah. the band thing is difficult, you know, because we're not youngsters anymore, we're adults, and, you know, we all have our lifestyles, different lifestyles, we all have uh, different things that we want to do, and we all see things different, so sometimes with the bands, it's hard to to come to agreements and stuff, you know, because yeah. everybody sees things in a different way. With the solo project, it's so simple. You know, I write the songs, I get the musicians, I hire them, play this, that's it. But you, you know, know it's, it's, I think it's good for the soul, too, to get what you have inside of you out, personally. You know what I'm saying? Not, not a band situation, but in a solo, you can do anything that, that's, 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 that's near and dear to your heart, you know. You always want to put exactly. out there and let the world hear it. I don't like a musical alchemy game. <laughs> you know? Yeah, instead of it just exactly. being, and, and hopefully yeah. it's not just songs only a mother could love, but it's something that, <laughs> hey, got to give the moms props too. Come on. Now. <laughs> exactly. But I, I love, you know, doing it like that because I usually when I write songs, I kind of write, uh, see the whole picture with it. You know, with the bands, it's different. With the bands, you have you have to let the other guys put their input to make it a band effort, which is yep. cool. You know, if they, if they, if, if, you know, if there's a cohesiveness in a train of thought that everybody's kind of uh, aligned with what the song should be, you know, or it can be a mess. You know, yeah. if everybody's having a different idea of what the song, the song should be, you know, it's almost like having uh, uh, four or five different cooks on the same soup. You know, ah, I think we should put some of this. Ah, I think we should put some of that. Right. You know, and the end when you taste it, ah, it tastes like crap. <laughs> <laughs> it needs a, need a little more salt. <laughs> it's like menudo. <laughs> it's like people always say this: you want to be happy playing music, never start a band. <laughs> yeah, and definitely don't hire a chick singer. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But it's true. <clears throat> you know, sometimes it, it happens. It can get chaotic. You know, it can but, be. So, so it, it depends on how um, on the same page the musicians are. You know. Yeah. So, speaking of bands, I understand you. You played a few shows with the Mighty Iron Maiden. Yeah, we went out for two weeks uh, when they released at. Ed the Hunter, Ed the Hunter, Ed uh, Hunter, yeah, Ed Hunter, yeah, and uh, we we went out two weeks with them, and they were super nice with us. I mean, you can imagine how how uh, excited we were to be on tour with them. You know, that it was a short run, but it was very fun. You know, we got to watch them every night, every night. You know, uh, it was amazing. You know, and then they were really, really super cool with us, very supportive, and they gave us a lot of props. You know, but it was. Uh, told us that they, they were so they thought we were great because we were bringing something new to the table, you know. Yep. So, are you more Iron Maiden or more Judas Priest? 
I'm I'm particularly more lean towards Iron Maiden. Okay. <clears throat> the, the, I've had a relationship with that band ever since I was a teenager when I discovered them, uh, and, and I do not have very very good memories of a lot of those albums. You know, uh, Judas Priest is a band that I never really got into until recently. Interesting. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I knew of some of the songs, you know, I, I liked uh, You Got Another Thing Coming. I thought that song was cool. I liked The Hellion, Electric Eye. I thought that song was cool. But it was not, I don't know, it was something in the voice of Rob Halford that wasn't my my corner. Uh, but recently, I've, I've been seeing how they've been evolving as a band. And, and I think it's amazing, a band with that type of... Um, trajectory you know so many years out it that they've been able to to really sound like that how they sound now and they're making they're making it's it's getting harder every year yeah exactly exactly that that last album that they put out uh, firepower that's a great album you know i really like it and so so yeah yeah i I was a late bloomer with uh judas (laughs) (laughs) he didn't have his british teal t-shirt on in in puerto rico He was he wasn't living after screaming for He vengeance. wasn't living after midnight yet. He wasn't getting to get there breaking the law. Living, uh, he wasn't breaking the law. <laughs> so, and it's kind of this way. I don't know if you understand. Like Ramon's talking about, a lot of times it's, a band comes down the singer. They like a singer. You don't like a singer. A lot of people don't like King Diamond. Okay, because he's just he's all over the place. King Diamond, or they don't like Billy Corgan to Smashing Pumpkins. Either you, either you like the voice, or you don't. Right. And for me, it is about the voice too. But the music is a different yeah. story, you know what I'm saying? So do you prefer the Paul Diano years of Maiden or Bruce Dickinson? No, Bruce Dickinson, uh, uh, by far. Yeah. Uh, All right. Like, okay, uh, Bobby, you win. Put another one in the Bruce Dickinson column. <laughs> God. <laughs> Come on. All you got to say is Number of the Beast. <laughs> killers. Yeah, no, I say Killers. The beast, power Slave. Power Slave. Come on, rhyme with you Ancient know? Mariner. Rhyme no, with the Ancient Mariner. Look, there's nothing wrong with Bruce yeah, Dickinson. Die with their boots time. on. Die with your boots on. Yeah. Where Eagles Dare. Still Life. Mm-hmm. The Trooper. Yeah, two minutes to midnight. Waste, waste, waste of Years. That song. Yes. That's yeah. amazing. Two minutes yeah. to Alexander midnight. the Great. Stranger in a Strange Land. Right. <laughs> yeah. I go on and on. I'm a Maiden fanatic. Yeah. That's another band that I've seen videos of them, recent videos of them. And it's really amazing the energy that the Bruce Dickinson still puts on stage. It's oh yeah, almost supernatural. But not only know, that, to go to end the show, then then fly the plane. Exactly. <laughs> I think they must exactly. be shooting him up with meth or something in order for him to. Get- <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he says a little bit of the gasoline from the airplane, and he makes a drink. Yep. With it. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. How else are you going to keep him awake all those hours? Dude, they no, can you imagine finishing a Maiden show and then hopping in the old airplane and and I mean it, see, it seems like Iron Maiden <laughs> is never off tour. <laughs> exactly. You no. know, you know what's funny? The other day I saw I saw a meme on Facebook uh, from uh, you remember that movie um, Back to the Future? Yeah. Uh, Michael J. Fox. Yeah, yeah. It was the the, doc, the 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 doctor, the crazy scientist doctor. Yeah. Uh, remember, he had this uh, car that would travel through time. Yep. Uh, it, it, somebody made this meme, and it was him coming out of the car and talking to Michael J. Fox, and he said, "Hey, Marty, I'm, I just got back from 2030. You know what? Kiss is still touring." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I love I love when the bands do the final show. This is the final Ozzy and his final tours. How many tours? Final tours going to be Ozzy? Cher is still on her final tour. 
Share. Oh, he's been doing that. He's been doing that forever. Yes. But Maiden says they're never going to retire, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, it works because the minute they say that, that stuff sells like hotcakes, you know? It right. does. It yeah, does. you got a point it there. Does. It does. You got a point there. Yeah. So, it's, yeah, yeah. Then, then they come out the next year. Uh, final, final, final tour. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> no, hey, look. And, it's, listen, and the price of tickets is outrageous now. It is like 300 bucks, $500, $1,200 set up Then it's the whatever, reunion man. tour. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I think, I, think, I think Scorpions did something like that a while back. I don't know. We retired. It's our last tour. They did. And then they, they went home and they got bored. And they came back. Wow. Yeah. yeah, and uh, they got bored. Yeah. Now they're on tour with Queensryche. <laughs> they are? When tour started yeah, again. We, yeah, they were Queensryche, yeah. Yeah. Wait, 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 like wait, a, what, what, what? Are they opening? Queensryche is opening, opening for, for Scorpions. Yeah, well, I was going to say, my God. Yeah, what? man, come on now. <laughs> you think Rudolf Schenker would, would put up with that? Mateus Jobs? No, he right. wouldn't put up with that. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> no, they get bored because, you know, if you've been a touring musician all your life, what are you going to do? You know, go home and do what? Yeah, yeah. sit in your German movie? castle. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you exactly. want to sing Winds of Change one last time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, they, they did become a ballad rock band, but when they first started, they were heavy metal. Dude, yeah. Lo- Lonesome I, I, Crow and Love Drive. Come and... on, man. Yeah. Serious. I really like their, their Worldwide Life album, the, the, the life that they released in the 80s. Oh, yes. Yeah, that was one of my favorite live albums. Yeah, worldwide live so and then blackout yeah, just on about blackout come blackout, on man yeah. china white blackout yeah. yeah all this stuff on there man you can't yeah. beat it no they're not great songs yeah, great songs you know with or without michael shanker they were still good or uli yeah. john roth was with them too uli. John, uli john roth. you know i'm gonna tell you i'm gonna tell you something that might might shock you okay. um, good. because i did i did this a while back on facebook i did uh uli john roth or matthias jabs Ooh. And I, it was, well, what I want to tell you might shock you, but I am Matthias Jobs team. I think so too. I'm in that yeah. camp as well. I mean, I like Uli. I like him, but he's no Matthias. No. Yeah, Uli, Uli, you know, uh, he's more sophisticated as a guitar player, I think. And uh, his stuff is more, the stuff that he played is more intricate, more you know, we're, we're, classically, you know. We're going to have to bring this question up with more rock gods. I think so, too. I think yeah, so. that is a great question. So I got a question yeah, for well, I Ramon. Mean, you, can even, you, you, can even, you can make a tree. You can add Michael Schenker on the... Uh, on the uh, but I have, to, I have to go to Michael Schenker then. I'm sorry. I think I'm an Attack of the Mad mm-hmm. Axe man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, feel, I, I like, I like Matthias a lot. You know, the, the, he was a little bit more... Um, uh, the crazier style. Um, yeah. Also structured and perfect. It was more raw, a little bit more raw. But there was some emotion on those solos that I really liked. You know, Mateus is fantastic, They're, man. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, when he joined the band, it turned this whole whole new animal. German, GermanRockGods.com. Exactly, exactly. I really like uh, the solo for No One Like You. Yep. You know, the solo for Rock You Like a Hurricane, the solo for Bad Boys from Wild. Yeah, dude, Rock You. solos, they're really nice, you know. They're really, Rocky really like have a, a lot hurricane. of emotion. The Rocky yeah. Like a Hurricane. Exactly. Big yeah. City Nights. Yeah, sure, man. <laughs> Yeah, great solos, very melodic. But you know, it's like it's like Iron Maiden. You know, the 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 solos that um, Dave Murray and Andreas Smith, the solos they constructed for Iron Maiden, they, they would really get you pumped. You know, they were yeah. constructed in a way that would get you pumped while you were listening to it. And now you know? they have the three because, guitar attack. Now Adrian Smith, the Cordianic Gears, oh, of dude. course, Dave but, Murray. And if you really listen to it, you can hear that it's all the all their songs are. Like monophonic riffs. 
You know, they like it's all it's all Steve Harris. If you think about it, it's all if you listen to Maiden for just a second and think about it, it's absolutely written by a bass player. Of course, he's it's his exactly. band. I'm just saying. I'm yeah. just saying. All those all those main Maiden guitar lines are all monophonic. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Even if they're doubling yep. each other, but it's yep. it's it's written by the bass player. You can tell. Yep. You can tell. Exciting. Yeah. So, but they they had really powerful uh, guitar solos, and I think Scorpions had that too. You know, the, the the guitar solos were something very very pumping. You know, you'd be like, yeah, you know, throw your fist in the air. You know? I mean, it seems <laughs> that the germ- the double guitar attack, you know, what came from a priest too, Glenn Tipton and KK Downing. But uh-huh. the German metal bands did it a lot. I like, would accept. They did a lot too. I, yeah, I like I like accept a lot too. You know, the, when I thought I thought that when that record came out, the Restless and Wild. Yeah, I thought that 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 record that was the first time I heard a thrash metal riff. You know, yeah, like, the the. That riff when it finally like, kicks in with the double bass from fast as a shark, right? Fast as a shark. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah, that's a cool. That, yeah, I love that song. Uh, I thought that was the first time I heard a thrash metal riff. You know, and uh, <clears throat> I, I always thought that Metallica should give him some credit for that, but I never heard him actually mention them. No, they never have. Metallica doesn't give anybody no. credit for anything. They do to the Merciful Fate. The Merciful <laughs> Fate. The right. Merciful Fate. King Diamond, the Merciful right. Fate. Yeah, yes, they you're do. Right. You're right. They you do. cannot knock Merciful Fate. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. It just depends on how much yeah. you like the falsetto. So right? I'm going to give you a question now, Ramon. Yeah. I'm gonna do, let's do student versus teacher. Joe Satriani or Steve Vai? Ooh. Steve Vai. Why? Ooh. Why Steve Vai? He just throws it out there. Uh, Steve Vai, I think he... You know, it was one of those. <clears throat> pardon me, one of those cases where the student um, passes the teacher. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and I think I think the the concept of what Joseph Triani wanted to do, you know, that guitar from outer space type of thing. Sure. Yeah. You know, the the I think Steve Bai took that concept and and took it even further. Yeah. Well, do you think Joseph Triani was kind of the- was kind of coming out of a Todd Rundgren? theme or what what was that all about um i'm not very familiar with todd runner yeah i've heard about him but i'm not really sure who he was you know and from from joseph Trani, the only album that i really enjoyed from him is the surfing with the alien i oh, thought yes. that was pretty, yep. pretty cool it, it was exciting uh, but other than that i'm not very familiar uh with the what he's done of course steve uh, i and uh what uh, frank zappa the frank zappa year Exactly, but I think after Bai joined the Daily Roth band, you know, and then he did that album, Irma Smile. That was amazing. Yeah, he great. That album, yeah. I I still listen to that album frequently. So do the I. Guitar solo he played there. <laughs> yeah, the guitar solo he played on that album. What a great incredible. band! Come on, yeah. Tobacco, Tobacco they, Road, Bump and Grind. <laughs> exactly, all those guitar solos are incredible. And then he did the Crossroads movie thing. Yeah, great he, he, took on, he took on Ralph you know? Macchio. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah, yeah, it was like the guitar, the guitar karate kid thing. Yeah, and uh, and he got a great exposure. I think he did a great role uh, yep. at the end of that movie. Yep. And uh, and then he did the White Snake album, and then he did Passion and Warfare. You know, that was amazing. Yep. You know, like. Though, though, all those that that sequence of those events that happen when they happen, that really put him really high, you know. And and and, and Steve Vai is amazing, you know. Like I've seen him last twice, you know, and 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 he's pretty impressive for what he does, you know. The 
<clears throat> it's almost like he's a magician of the guitar. He creates these atmospheres and this aura, you know. It's like from, really from outer space or something, you know. Mm. Okay. Well, that's cool. The great explanation. The, yeah. And I think about it. I'm, I'm more Steve Vine now as well. Hell. <laughs> I'm moving. And remember, you watched the movie Crossroads. You had to wait all the way to the end to see the great scene between Ralph Macchio and the devil's guitar player, Steve Vai. It was brilliant. Yeah, no, I, 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 uh, Steve Vai played all the guitar parts on that. Well, of yeah. course, we know that. Yeah. <laughs> Ralph yeah. Macchio playing guitar with Steve. The Karate Kid's not playing guitar like Steve Vai. No. Come on now. <laughs> No. Yeah, Laruso, he's uh, he's faking it, Mr. Laruso. He's faking yeah, it. He's fake. You can tell he's faking it. So, uh, tell me before we go here, what guitar players really inspire you? That you say, hey, these are my favorite guitar well, players, and I'm, they really inspire me. If I had to pick, you know, uh, a few of them, yep. uh, there's been many of them, but if I have to pick, you know, like say five or six guys, I would start with Eddie Van Halen, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, he started the whole revolution uh, of guitar that, that influenced me. I would say Yngwie Monstein, okay. you know, with the non-classical thing. I think he invented the, the, the really fast shredding. Uh, the guy from Dokken, George Lynch. Uh-huh. Uh, he, 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 oh, still to this day, uh, he influenced me a lot. In sound and and, and, and approach, uh, the guy from Rat, the Martini. Yeah, he was a big influence. He he's uh, kind of on the same corner as, as Lynch, uh, very similar. And also from a different genre, uh, the flamenco player Paco de Lucia. Oh yes. Right. Uh, so uh, and I would say those were my biggest, you know, uh, influences. So you're not going to obviously throw, you're not going to throw Al Miola in there. No, because I mentioned Inve, you know, uh, in terms of that. Because, <laughs> I prefer Inve myself. In terms, of that, in terms of that type of speed, you know, that right. hyper speed. Even, right. even though Ali Meola was doing that before, you know, I'm, I'm, he was on a different kind of music. Ali Meola was more coming from like fusion. Yeah, fusion, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and that's why I didn't know about him until I mean, later. Actually, the first, the first thing that I uh, hear, heard from him uh, was when he played with Paco de Lucia on, on those acoustic uh, albums, uh, Saturday Night in San Francisco. Yeah. Yes. You know, that's the first time I heard Aldi Meola. I heard his electric stuff later, you know, and I actually like uh, uh, one of the Aldi Meola songs a lot, The Race with the Devil on Spanish Highway. That's a great song. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what those I mentioned to you, those probably the the guys that my go-to guys, you know, uh, the music that I never stopped listening. And the corner, uh, uh, and this one one that I forgot to mention that has a really special place for me, uh, Dimebag Girl from Pantera. Uh, Dimebag yeah, Girl. Dimebag. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Dimebag. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those those are basically the guys you know that, that influenced me the most. You know, I listen to a whole bunch of others. You know and. Uh, you know, I, they all have uh, my my appreciation, but those are really, really the ones that are. Yeah, I think like Eddie Van Halen and Ingve changed the game. I think they did when they in their own ways. Yeah, they were. The, yeah, yeah, they were the ones. Uh, I think the one before them was Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, you know, but but Eddie was probably the the most important one because Eddie not only changed the way rock should be played, the way the electric guitar should be played at that point. But he created a new sound, you know, and that's what's like the most amazing part. And, and, a, and a pop you know? sound, let's face it. Yeah, they're a party band. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're songs you get into and listen to, have a good party around. I mean, 
Yeah, Erup- man, Erup- 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 yeah. Eruption alone launched a thousand guitar players, in my opinion. <laughs> you know, the, the the with rock and roll, with the original rock and roll, um, oh, you know, oh, oh, different um, oh, oh, opposing uh, polars, uh, different poles, opposing yeah. poles of something worked. You know, the the uh, irony between the, for example, demon. Kiss, Gene Simmons, yep, and Star Child, Paul Stanley. You yeah, know right. that the the irony between those two characters, Paul Stanley looked very effeminate, uh, uh, and Gene Simmons looked very aggressive, fire breathing monster. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that stuff is it, it works with people. You know, it resonates with Van Halen. It, it, it was different, but it's similar in a way. You know, you have this virtuoso, amazing guitar player, very technical, and then you have this party animal. You know, at the front, man. Right. I mean, David you know, Lee Roth I, is still one of the best showmans in the business. He always was. I mean. Yeah. And, and he brought the party to the band. He you brought know? the party, the, yeah. Yeah, sure. He brought the party, you know, and, and I think that helped a lot to, to have the popular outreach. Oh, for the yeah. People, to, make it, to make it for the people, not only for the musicians, you know. Not to mention the Ashes uh, Chaps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He asked the chaps for I mean, something else. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. The, the, and the other thing with Eddie, you know, that I, I I find so amazing is that he created the Brown Sound, what we know, what was known as the Brown Sound, which was the template for it, the distorted electric guitar sound after that. You know, because before Eddie, if you wanted to make a guitar distorted, the only way to do it was to crank a Marshall to 11, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and because those amps were not made to really have a gain like the amps now, like a gain button, but that you can add distortion to the sound at a low volume. Yeah, there's no ma- like there was that. no Mesa boogie. Yeah, right. Exactly. So so you had to just crank the, the amp to full volume, and then it would just distort the speakers. But it was an ugly distortion. It was almost like if you have a broken speaker at your home studio, how that sound like, you know, <laughs> but that was the, how, how the distorted guitar sounded back then. Eddie somehow with the experimentation that he was doing with different types of pickups, changing the voltage on the Marshalls and all this stuff, he was able to create this ear pleasing distortion. Yeah. Putting in the 15 you know? watt tubes or whatever it was and doing, using exactly. a power he did a bunch of, he did a bunch of stuff and he was altering the voltage of the, of the app of the Plexis. And uh, he was able to to create, generate, find this real pleasing sounding distortion. It was spongy and it was sweet, organic, warm, and nice and very musical. And then hence his ability to play off the harmonics, right? I mean, the harmonics. Exactly. Yeah, he was, and, and he, he came up with all these techniques, you know, based on the, on the sound, you know, that, that, that sounded that nobody ever heard before, you know, and when that came out in 78, then that was the sound. Everybody, what the hell, you know? And that created the whole era of high gain amps. Well, let's, know, let's, amps let's not forget Boston either though. Boston also yeah, he, championed he, he that sound. Lot, yeah. He had a lot to do with that too. The solid you know, state the, sound and Tom Schultz and all that stuff. I mean, he had a, exactly. that was a sound yeah. for sure. And then of course, yeah, here comes Ingve Malmsteen, the virtuoso young kid from Sweden. Right. Comes over here and he's, he joins Steeler with Ron Keel. Then he joins Alcatraz with Graham Bonnet. And then he does Rising Force. I mean, he yeah, changed no, the game. He, he, he was amazing. You know, the, the, the idea of fusing 
classical music with rock and roll and heavy rock and heavy metal. Was, that was not a new idea when he no, came people out. Had you know, def- was, people had definitely feathered it before, but he definitely took it right out front. Yeah, he really harnessed the idea, you know, uh, 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 with the power in it, you know, because they, they were they, they were guitar players you know, that were flirting with the idea, you know. Sure. So he really took it to the next level, you know, with when he came, he came out with Alcatraz and yeah. uh, uh, the, the, the Rising Force album, you know. Yep. Yeah. That was really different. And his level of technique, his level of speed and clarity, clarity uh, it sounded so clean. That was unheard of in heavy metal. You mm-hmm. know, the, I don't know. I don't know if you're familiar the, with uh, Paganini. Do you know Paganini, the uh, violin player? That was uh, a violin player. Yeah, I understand yeah. he had a big influence from him. You know, the, I'm not very familiar with the with the music, but uh, I've heard him cite uh, Paganini and Bach. You know, as main influences. From, Pag- from Paganini was a violin player that uh, back in the uh, 1800s. That he was Italian. And he and he literally played. He had lightning bolts on his co- on his. He had wore a costume. Yeah. With lightning bolts. Oh, on really? It. Okay. Yeah. And nice. he was and he was a shredder. And uh, Franz Liszt used to write stuff for him. But he was uh, he was a shredder back in those days. And a lot okay. of people compare Paganini to Ingve. Ingve. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, women well, women they, were, they, women they, were throwing their panties at him, and this is like two hundred years ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nice. Yeah, no, they, 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 they said he was really, possessed really putting, by the devil and all this stuff. You know what I mean? Go listen to some Paganini sometime. You'll see what I'm talking about. It's crazy. Yeah, I gotta, you gotta check it out. Yeah, definitely. The the Inve definitely put a put the bar up. You know, with technique in the, the for the electric guitar when he came out. You know, and he's uh, pretty he, much he, the only guy who looks cool in a ruffled shirt from the 16th century. <laughs> <I don't>. <laughs> <laughs> no, he he also started a revolution, like Eddie. You know, you remember all those neoclassical. You know, Guitar players that started coming out of nowhere at that point, you know, and no, none of them, almost none of them, are doing that anymore. He's the only one that's still doing it, you know. So that means that it was his natural form of expression. Everybody else just jumped on the bandwagon. Yeah, my my, my favorite Inveil, I think, is "Marching Out" with Jeff Scott Soto on vocals. That's a great album. Yeah, it's a great album. I like that one too. Uh, I really like also the third one, Trilogy. That yeah, was Trilogy, great. yeah. I always imagine Ingve like hanging out in a castle with a glass he, a goblet he, full of red he wine. Does. Yeah. <laughs> Grapes. I think he lives in, my, in Miami or something. Is he? I thought he lived yeah. in like the Alps. <laughs> I know. It looks like he lives in like Transylvania. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you sit you get the puffy sleeves and everything. Or Denmark or something. He's got like the that. ascot yeah, yeah. on the ruffled ascot. <laughs> Mist in the background, and he used to live in Vegas. Yeah, he, he, he lived in Vegas for a while, I believe. Whatever. He, he still he still puts on. Yeah, he still got the velvet curtains and everything. Yeah, you the know. velvet jacket. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> the velvet jacket with all those. Oh my god! He's probably roommate. He's probably roommates with Nosferatu. Yeah, <laughs> Nosferatu, absolutely. They're old bros, old bros. So listen, Ramon, yeah. Ramon, man, Ramon Ortiz. Thank you for being on. But let's talk about before we go. Let's talk about what the what's the, what's the future look like. What do you, what do you want to do in the future? What do you see the future for yourself and Puya and the music industry in general? What what the future is going to be like? Well, I, I intend of um, producing music this year. You know, uh, obviously all the live shows have been canceled. You know, but that yep. hasn't deterred me much. You know, I I still producing music all the time for different projects. You know, and doing guitar lessons. Yes, Skype, you know, so I, I stay active. The, and I intend to keep uh, making music, you know, as long as I have the health and the, and the passion for it, you know. Um, 
and 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 I have different projects. You know, the Puya thing is moving along. We have a couple of singles singles we're going to be releasing soon. Um, for my solo project, I'll be releasing some stuff. I have a I actually have this band that I didn't mention to, but um, I, I I actually used to be in a in a, a band that was successful here in the late '80s. That we played kind of like a White Snake 1987 album type of thing. You know, cool. from Rock'em, uh, uh, that band got reunited a, a little bit ago, and we we're writing some singles for that uh, reunion. Uh, and it's gonna be very, very retro. You know, with, um, uh, the songs that I've been making for that, I don't have any intention of modernizing the sound at all. It's gonna be cool. just straight out of the straight out of the eighties. You know, nice. with a lot of shredding. Uh, and you know, as far as the music industry goes, you know, I'd like to see a turn uh, on real music. Again, you know, people turning their ears uh, onto real music, especially the younger people. Wouldn't you that know? be great? Because because the the problem is that the computer generated music has taken over the airways. You know, and I, I don't think it's cool. You know, I don't think it's real. Uh, the it's all computer generated. It's not humans playing it. You know, so I don't know if it yeah. should be called music. You so know, so you're not you're not going to be you're not going to be heading up a K-pop band anytime soon. Then is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, no, that won't happen. <laughs> but but, uh, but I, I'd like to see that, you know. Uh, I think uh, even though the, the the loss of Eddie Van Halen is a big tragedy, like I said before, always something's good come out of tragedies. One of the good things about it is that his legacy becomes very vibrant again and becomes uh, evident to people that didn't know about it. The younger kids, you know, yeah. they start discovering this stuff. And hopefully it, it, it makes it, its way in, into their hearts, you know, so that rock and roll can have uh, another, you know, chapter of life, you know, for yeah. a different generation. These, these young kids today think that uh, Blink-182 and Green Day are, are rock bands. You know what I mean? Or they're punk rock bands, but they're not. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is that it's such a different times, you know, right now uh, for the kids, you know, uh, everything is so easily accessible for them, the information, you know, they don't have to hustle like we did, you know, to no. access Yeah, you got a point there. Yeah. And, you know, that that's character building, you know, when, when you have to do a hustle, you know, uh, for a long time, you know, it makes you a different person, you know, when everything is so easy, you know, it's like people become kind of bland, you know. Hmm. Because, but, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll say one other thing, though. One good thing about technology is you see a lot of these like um, like uh, really strange death metal bands coming out of their these, mother's basement. These one-man bands, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it's not my thing, really. <laughs> it's, not, it's, like, it's like we're talking to friends of ours who are producers as well, and they're like, and bands in the studio, they want to stare at the Pro Tools screen. He turns all the screens off. You know you're not looking at Pro Tools. Go play the song. Play me the song. Yeah, quit looking at the sound waves and how you're going to yeah. cut it up. Let me do yeah, my job. You, you know, will we, play the we, song. Yeah. We need to go back to that. You know, it's become all too convenient, you know, and talent's been going out the window, you know, because everything's so easy, you know, uh, to record and, and, and cut and paste. And, you know, people don't play the whole thing uh, like before. But the musician has to be really good to go into the studio, you know, and you need to have that down and, and play the thing from top to bottom perfect, you know, you have to prepare yeah. for that, you know. And yeah, now you only got to play it I'll, once. I'll, you only got to play it for two bars and then you just cut and paste it. I mean, some people do it like that. I don't like to do it that way, you know. That's, that's, I think that's the reason why a lot of music sucks these days, you know, <laughs> because people are doing it like that, you know. Yeah, the, right. the, it has lost that organic primal <laughs> thing that, that rock and roll is supposed to have, you know. Either, but it's not supposed to be it's safe not. and predictable, you right, know. Right, right. 
and that, that's why Europe is so important because they're still they're still putting out the musically normal like like bands like Arch Enemy or Ginger bands like this are doing all kinds of cool things out there, you know. Yeah, no, they, they, I really like that band. They, 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 I was checking Arch Enemy. Actually, I'm not, not familiar with them, but I was checking some of their stuff online, and uh, I was looking at some of the shows of that singer that they have now. That girl, she's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, she has very, very strong presence. Yeah, Alyssa White Gloves, yeah. 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 You got to check, she, out, she, check, she, out, uh, check out Ginger with a J also. Really good. Okay. Yeah, yeah I've heard about them. I haven't checked them out. I want to recommend one album to you guys. Uh, okay. Maybe you've heard it. Came out, came out this year. Uh, it's a band. It's an older band, but actually they did a comeback and they released an album this year. The band's called Heathen. Yes. And uh, yeah, they, they. I think some of the guys that play there, they're from Exodus or they're two, yeah, some of yeah, the yeah, yeah. three musicians. Yeah, and they released an album this year called Empire of the Blind. That album is incredible. Hmm. Okay. So it's a thrash metal masterpiece from beginning to end. All nice. the riffs. The production, the songs, the vocals, everything is on point. I love the album. I, I got it like about a month ago on vinyl. Uh, it's, a, it's a really nice product. They saw double vinyl, and it runs the speed of the turntable, runs on 45, and it sounds incredible. Wow. Okay. Yeah, That's what I said to all the album. young kids out there. You want to listen to real music, go buy some vinyl records, man. You can't beat the sound of hey, vinyl. Hey, this, this year, vinyl out outnumbered. CD sales in the United States. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I've been getting back into it. My wife, she's all a uh, vinyl collector. She has a huge collection nice. here of almost seven hundred vinyls, and uh, and we have uh, three different stations in the house to listen to vinyls. And I just put together the third one, and this one came out really nice. The, the LPs here sound incredible. So I've been going crazy, you know, uh, getting a lot of the newer ones on vinyl and listening to them, you know, and it's a whole other experience, you know, the sound uh, is so much more uh, organic and, and it has depth to it. And, and don't, 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 stuff, don't you think that having yeah. the artwork and the whole record and, your, and the liner notes in your hand means something more than just a CD? Of course, or, yeah, of I mean, course. It's the whole experience of the, like, appreciating the artwork and it, it goes with the music. You listen to the music, you look at the artwork, it's a whole experience, you know, mm-hmm. the but the but the yeah it's, it, you know with the digital stuff it, we did the experiment here one time because we have a CD player and we have uh, I don't know if you remember the band that J K Lee put together after Aussie Badlands yeah yeah, yeah I love Badlands, Badlands. Yeah. Badlands yeah. yeah yeah they were great so we have here the the first one that they released the, the self title yeah, High Wire on, on it vinyl. yeah Dreams in the Dark exactly yeah. exactly so we have we have that one on original vinyl here. And we have the CD, so we did an experiment one day. Let's let's listen to it on CD and let's listen to it right away after that. Let's AB it on vinyl. There was no comparison, you know. They, when that riff kicks in on vinyl, when the drums come in, that thing jumps out of the speakers, and then the the the, the digital stuff doesn't have that type of punch. You know? Yeah, they, right. It's a softer, it more like. Yeah. It sounds 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 almost like unidimensional, like flat. But the the the, the, vinyl, the that type of music on vinyl, there's depth to it. You know, you can feel the pressure and the depth of the music coming at you. You know, it's, uh, maybe for other types of music, it's different. I've heard that jazz, that digital stuff sounds better. But for rock and roll and metal, there's no no comparison. You know, the vinyl sounds better. I think we need to go down to Puerto Rico and hang out with Ramon for a while and listen yeah, to man. vinyl. <laughs> it's quite a, quite a collection down there. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, that would be great. You know, if you guys ever come down here, let me know. Yeah. We'd, be, we'd be drinking out of coconuts down there. I don't know. What <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, then we can all we can all go together and see this Puya. We'll cover bring Ebo with us. We can all go together and see this Puya cover band again. <laughs> we will we'll go. We will go watch a Puya cover band and I'll play incognito. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you think they wouldn't recognize you when you walk in? They'd probably be flipping out. Uh, well, fake mustache, you know. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> fake mustache, sombrero, whatever you know. Where <laughs> sombrero? <laughs> a fedora with a, a, a fedora. Yeah, a machete and a fedora. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so Ramon Ortiz, man, founder, guitarist of Puya, Ankla, and a bunch of solo albums, Ortiz and many others. Thank you so much for being on the Old Guys Talk About Us Sometimes Punk podcast, man. Love Puya. Love everything you do. Thank God you're keeping the metal flag flying. We need to do this. Thank you very thank you very much. I appreciate that. And uh, keep going with the good stuff, you know. The, the metal needs, you know, this type of stuff, you know, and to keep the flame alive for younger generations. To, we're bringing it know, back. And, That's what we're trying yeah, to do. We're trying to make America metal again. America metal again, people. Put that on your put that on your ballot. <laughs> you have my support. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you again. I much appreciate it, Ramon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care, guys. We'll talk to you soon, hopefully.